We're going to talk about a serious topic today, uh, and I'm going to start with this illustration. Abraham Abdullah had a list. He's a 32-year-old busboy who came across a Forbes 400 magazine, and in that magazine were some of the most wealthy people of America. People like Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Oprah Winfrey, Ted Turner, Warren Buffett, George Soros, and others. And everyone on that list, he found some way to have a personal grievance with, and he started researching, researching, researching as best he could from every public source online, on his public library, to find out details about each of these individuals. And he had a journal, he had notes in his Forbes 400 magazine of all of these details, and then he started making phone calls to their banking institutions. And he would use these details to try to convince the person on the other side of the line that he was their financial advisor and he was the one that was supposed to shift certain things around. And every time he was trying to just grab a little bit more information, a little bit more information, even if it was just, what is the bank balance? Come on, that's all I need. I'm in the car. He's being whisked away on his private jet. He wants to know his, his balance so he can make this big purchase. Just tell me what it is. So bit by bit, as he gets this information, he comes to the point where he has access to $80 million that he has siphoned away into an offshore account. When he was later interviewed in prison, when they caught him, it was back in 2002, he still didn't see himself as a criminal. He says, I'm just doing community service. I'm redirecting these funds where they could be better used. It was known as one of the biggest identity thefts in history. Maybe it's been surpassed by now. I don't know. But in a similar way, I believe the devil is making hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of attempts each day to steal from every one of us something that God created that is so precious. In fact, it's so precious we have it before the fall. There we have creation in the Genesis account, we have the Sabbath, we have man and wife, and in that union we have this beautiful thing called sex. So I'm asking the question today, who invented sex? Whose idea was it? You know, we live in a day and age when this world is so sex-crazed, and everywhere we go, there's a screen, 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 screen. We live in a social media age, and throughout social media is this, well, counterfeit of what God's original design was. Sometimes it's subtle, other times it's not so subtle at all. And each time a seed is planted, and a seed is planted of what sex is, or should we say what it isn't. I came across this article. It came out just in September of this year. How TikTok serves up sex and drug videos to minors. And in this article they talk about, it's from the Wall Street Journal, they talk about how they set up an account for a 13-year-old, underage, and very quickly, this account starts getting feeds. You know that scroll 
and you're not sure exactly where it comes from, but there's that scroll, and there's a, oh, there's a cute puppy, and oh, that looks delicious, and oh, here's a new way to, to do your hair, or whatever it is. And part of that feed was suggestions for sex, suggestions for drugs, maybe even just something as innocent, if we could say that, as a marijuana leaf on top of a birthday cake. And so as they're going through this feed, as you're going through this feed, they have these algorithms in TikTok. And don't be alarmed or don't, don't think for a moment that it's just TikTok that's doing this. YouTube and all the others are doing it as well. But as you go through the feed in TikTok and as you hover and you say, huh, what is that? That's kind of strange. That's weird. That's unusual. And it's calculating how many seconds I look at that image, that video, as opposed to, I don't know, a picture of Tahiti or something. And it doesn't necessarily matter if that's your interest or if it's just a curiosity or if you're just dumbfounded that this is a thing. It's calculating the seconds that you spend there and it says, ah, they like this. I will give them more and more and more. And very quickly, in a matter of days, this account they set up for a 13-year-old was getting videos and, and pictures of pay-for pornography. But this really isn't shocking, is it? We live in 2021. But I tell you, the devil has never before had such a tool, such a device that is with us at all times in our pockets, that's constantly begging for our attention, and not just begging for our attention, but sowing seeds that are counter to everything the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. I'm so thankful that just this last year, where I come from, Fletcher Academy, has decided to ban all smartphones except for the Gab phone. And you say, what is that? That's just talking. It's texting. There is a camera on there, but there's no data, which means there's no apps. There's no TikTok. There's no Instagram. There's no any of this stuff. Is that a silver bullet that solves everything? No, but I talked to the deans there and they say, oh my goodness, it's so much better. For the first time that I can remember having worked here, people are downstairs in the dorm playing board games, going out to recreation and, and exercising and mountain biking. And, and on Saturday afternoons, they want to go for hikes before, no, we're just going to stay in our rooms. We live in an age where this pipeline is coming so strong and so fast and so hard and we think, oh, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. I think of this verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And folks, people are being devoured, I believe, at a faster rate today than they've ever been devoured before in the privacy of their own room, wherever they choose to be, as long as I have a connection. I hear some people say, well, pastor, I have a good filter. Good. Now, I'm not talking about the filter on your phone. That's probably a good idea. I'm not talking about going to a gab phone. That's probably a good idea. I would recommend all of those. I have something on my phone that keeps me accountable because as a male, I don't feel that I am uh, above or beyond any of this stuff. 
But I hear people say, well, Pastor, I have a filter. So I, you know, I know, and I, I don't look at that kind of stuff, and I just kind of dismiss it. And folks, let's think about a filter for a second. We put them on our cars. We have air filters, oil filter, filters, water filters, the whole thing. But the reality is a filter is not a muscle that gets stronger with use. Isn't it true? It actually gets clogged. So a filter is not necessarily the answer. So let's get back to our question, though. Who invented sex? Well, God did. It was his idea. And we could ask, for what purpose? I like this verse, Genesis 2, 23. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Leave and cleave and become one. That was a purpose that God invented sex for. Perhaps not the only purpose, but certainly one of, if not one of the major purposes of sex and sexuality. And they were both naked in the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Oftentimes when I ask this question, why did God create sex? First question I get back, or answer I get back. Procreation, kids to populate the earth, true, that's a reason. Put it on the board, right? I went to school and had a teacher once that he had the understanding and the belief that that was the only reason God designed and invented sex. And so he had two kids and he had sex two times. I think, have mercy. It's not a biblical idea. There's other reasons as well. If you read the book Song of Solomon, there is no question that there is an element of pleasure that goes along with sex. That, again, was God's idea. That wasn't an accident. He says, I'm going to make this enjoyable, pleasurable, something that they're going to enjoy doing together that will bond them together. If he didn't want to make it pleasurable, and if procreation was the only reason, perhaps he could have come up with something where I take out some earwax from my ear, I put it in my wife's ear, and we're having twins. But that's not what he did. So, one, we could say procreation. Two, pleasure. Three, intimacy. Stop and think about it. The highest form of human intimacy on the planet this is not something you engage in as much as you love your mother or your father or your grandparents or your siblings or your closest friends. No, this is only reserved for your spouse because there's going to be a connection there. There's going to be a bond there that is so tight, like adhesives that you can put on the, the materials. The wood will break away before the adhesive breaks. That's sex. And he wants us to get an understanding of the intimacy that God desires to have with us. Not in a physical way, but in a close relational way. And then, I believe, in God's foreknowledge, in God's understanding, he places this beautiful hedge of protection around this most beautiful gift. And he calls it marriage. This idea of marriage is also quickly going away. We don't need it. It's archaic, on and on and on. But again, God's idea to protect this very precious gift. 
And the devil always has his counterfeit. The Bible truth of death is asleep. And the counterfeit, no, the spirit lives on and you can communicate and so on. The Bible truth of the seventh day Sabbath, no, the counterfeit is Sunday or any day you wish. We have the promise of the rainbow after the flood. No, 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 that represents homosexuality. That's the counterfeit. Sex is a precious gift to be enjoyed in marriage. No, the counterfeit is free sex. Go out, have fun, enjoy yourself. This is for you. You're in the prime of your life. Don't miss out. I want to look at some reasons why I think God set these parameters in place for sex and sexuality. And maybe talk to you a little bit too about some other dynamics of this that you may or may not be aware of. Here's a question that all your parents want you to consider, right? Why should I wait? Is there a good reason to wait? I hear lots of reasons not to wait. Well, I want to be experienced. And I want to... All these things. Well, let's look. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? That's that leave and cleave. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, quoting the verse that we already read. And then he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This was the advice, I mean, it came later, but Joseph did the same thing, didn't he? Being pursued, 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 he flees. He doesn't say to Potiphar's wife, let's have a Bible study. No, he gets out. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, a high price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. One of the reasons I believe we should wait is that every time we don't wait, we are bringing another partner into the marriage bed. Sex is such an amazing, incredible thing, but when you engage with your wife later and you've had other partners, those other partners come back to mind. Those other partners, they'll say, are you thinking of me? Your eyes look like they were drifting off. Are you thinking of someone else? You don't think that's problematic? Folks, that's problematic. And if you think, oh, I, I, sex doesn't bond me to the person. It's just, you know, friends with benefits or a one-night stand or whatever. You can say what you want. You can try and convince yourself otherwise. But the reality is not, oh, that's not the reality of the situation. We could spend some time talking about sexually transmitted diseases and some of the, the risks involved and how some of these, um, HPV is one that you may not have any symptoms for years and then later it will come back after you've established your family, you have kids, and then this thing comes back. And I've heard of individuals who have lost their lives to this sexually transmitted disease when they were out sowing their wild oats, if you will. Had their come to Jesus moment, they repented, they were involved in their church, but this still came back like a boomerang and took them out. How do you avoid it? 
Simple. Follow God's directive. Wait until you're married, and you will never have to worry about it. Well, maybe if it's just one or two partners, and maybe they also had one or two or four or six partners, when you're sharing with that person that one time, you're not sharing just with them, you're sharing with everybody else that are in their past history as well. I think of a young man who came to me years ago, and he said, Pastor Wright, I'm scared to death. And I said, what? What's going on? And he says, you know my past, you know my history, you know how I've made some poor choices, but you know how I've also cleaned myself up, how I'm coming back to church? Yes, I know, I know. And you know this girl that I've met, and she's just such a Christian girl, such a good girl, I just, I love her so much, I want to marry her, I believe she's the one. So what's the problem? Says, Pastor I, I'm scared to death to have this conversation with her. What conversation? About all the things I've done. He's talking about his baggage. So let me ask you this question. When is the best time to have that conversation? Is it the first date? Bing bong! Hello, my name is David. I just want you to know, before we even get in the car, I've had sexual relationships with Samantha and Susie and all these other people. In fact, just last week. But I want you to have full disclosure. Now do you want to go out to eat? Slam! Too soon. Second date? Third date? I mean, now we're dating, now it's official, but it still doesn't feel like the right time. Folks, when is the right time? Uh, maybe before we get engaged is the right time. Maybe, I know, I, I'll just, she'll never have to know. I'll just keep it to myself. We'll just build our whole relationship on a throne of lies. Perfect! Folks, at some point, you're going to have to have that conversation. And if you have a lot of history behind you, if you have a lot of baggage, that's a hurtful conversation that leaves her in tears, that leaves her hurt, that perhaps even breaks with a, a, a phrase that says something like, I need time, i got to think about this, this is heavy. And you're like, oh no. Now let's back up. Beep, beep, back the truck up. How can we avoid this whole circumstance? not have baggage, right? Follow God's directive from the beginning. Reserve that special thing for marriage. And then you won't have to have that conversation. Tell me about, oh, sure, I, I dated a few of these girls, and, you know, we held hands, and I kissed this one girl, and, you know, and anything else? Nope. Can I propose the idea that someday when you stand at the altar with your bride and you say, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you until death do us part, when do you start loving, honoring, and cherishing your spouse? Right here at the altar? I would propose, no, it starts now, it started yesterday, it started your whole life. You are to love and honor and cherish your spouse that you have not even met starting now. 
So that when the day comes that you do meet and you do fall in love and you do propose and you do find yourself at the altar, you can say, I have saved myself for you. I have honored you even before I knew you. Doesn't that sound like a better plan? Who has the best sex? Somebody's paying attention. Number one, if you look at study after study after study, I got my doctorate in in family ministry, and so we dealt with this type of thing often, but there's so many studies out there that say sex is better in marriage. Find that narrative in the media. It doesn't exist, right? They're sneaking into a janitor's closet. They're having an affair here, here, everywhere else. No, studies say the most satisfying sex is in marriage. Maybe God knew what he was talking about. Secondly, I love this one. Sex is better with religious or spiritual couples. What? Yes, the idea that the more I love God, the better my sex life. Could it be that that makes it a little bit more pure, a little bit more what God intended, that I'm honoring my spouse as God wanted me to, and perhaps I don't have all that baggage? And now sex can truly be this openness, this oneness, this vulnerability, this trust that exists between you and this other person that doesn't exist anywhere else. And thirdly, sex is not better if you cohabit. That's the idea of trying it out first. I can assure you, 99.9% of the time the plumbing's going to work. I don't know, that's not a real statistic. But that's generally not an issue. And if there is, there's some things you can do to to work with that. But you don't have to test anything out. And in fact, it takes it away. So if anything, I should be having an altar call about spiritual things and everybody come up, even if they just want better sex. Because that's what study after study says. One study says it this way, one of the best kept secrets in America is that the best sex is not found in the singles bar or on university campuses, not even in the romantic hideaways of ski lodges or beach resorts. Note, the best satisfying sex in America is in the bedrooms of people who are married for life. This same study found that more religious a married couple, the more frequent and satisfying their sex. Religious people who are married by far and away have the best sex lives. They have the most frequent sex, the most satisfying sex, the most fun sex, and the longest lived sex lives. If this type of sex life was available in a pill, it would outsell Viagra, Levitra, and Cialis combined. And how do they get it? They follow God's design. How is it we need science sometimes to show us or a study to show us when God's word has been there showing us all along? But somehow we don't trust this. Why not? Does God not have our best interest at heart? He does. There's another question I get. What is permissible before marriage? Hoo-ah. Well, to put it simply, we have a little book that's called The Swimsuit Lesson. 
and it's a book that parents read with their kids. We read it to our kids. It's really more about protecting them against sexual predators and that kind of thing, but the, the ideas carry over that wherever your swimsuit covers, that needs to be reserved for that special relationship, that commitment to marriage. And don't try and get all fancy with me because swimsuits are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. No, no, no. Just take the idea. Take the principle. It's in your best interest. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, pastor, we're, we, we don't cross. We know where that line is and we're not going to cross it. So we sleep together, but we don't have sex. Uh-huh. We make out with each other and, and we don't have any clothes on, but we don't have sex. Uh-huh. How long do you think that's going to last? Yeah, good luck with that. We have to guard the edges, don't we? The idea is not to see how close I can get to the cliff without falling off. I want to come back far enough and draw a line and say, this is where I can safely stand and it will be okay. And someone invariably is going to come along and say, your line's way too far back. Well, say what you want, but I know I'm not falling off that cliff. What does that mean? That means that I have to be very careful about camping as a you know, guys and girls group, sharing the same tent, that's out of the question. Studying someplace where no one will find us, that's out of the question. I have never heard of somebody going to Barnes & Noble to study or going to the library to study, and she got pregnant. I mean, we were just there at the, you know, sharing a hot drink or whatever it is, and then we just couldn't control ourselves. It doesn't happen. Stay in a public place where that won't happen. Guard the edges. Don't put yourself in a situation that is too much. All right. One last thing I want to say. Well, a couple things. Another is that sometimes people say, well, we're already committed to each other in engagement. We're going to be married in just a few months, maybe a few weeks, maybe tomorrow. We're in this for the long haul. I mean, this is good enough, isn't it? Well, first of all, until you're married... There's going to be a, a level of guilt. There's going to be a lack of trust. Maybe later on in the marriage they'll say, well, they slept with me before we were married. Maybe they're sleeping with that secretary that I'm a little nervous about. Is it worth giving up that trust? But friends, there's something so beautiful when you have waited. And is it easy? Absolutely not. I can tell you it is absolutely not easy. By God's grace and grace alone, Elizabeth and I waited. But we, when we waited, it was the most glorious, wonderful thing. And you're like, oh, please stop talking now. It was wonderful! And we were so giddy, we were so excited. In fact, after we were married, uh, we were going to weddings of friends and different people that we knew or in church or whatever. And my wife is sitting there, and I'm next to her, and she says, they already did it. I'm like, what do you mean? Do you know that? So I can just tell. What do you mean you can just tell? That's a pretty personal thing. She says, it's obvious. Obvious? She's like, yeah, they're not, they're not excited. They're not giddy. They don't have this glow. They're not, you know, flashing back at each other. These little, oh, I can't believe we're getting married. And tonight we're going on a honeymoon. Honeymoon! Oh, this is going to be great! I started thinking about that. 
And I'll ask people, you know, where are you going on the honeymoon? Oh, well, we're not going on a honeymoon because she couldn't get off of work and this and that. And I'm thinking, what? Quit the job, honey. We have waited for this thing. We're going on a honeymoon. Don't tell me where. And here's the thing. If you live together first, if you sleep together first and do all these things, you have essentially forfeited the honeymoon. You will never have a honeymoon. You will have a vacation. And I hope you have a great vacation. But you'll never have a honeymoon. Because there's something so special about and, and, and giddy and exciting about we did it. We're, we're finally married. I can't believe we're married. I can't believe we're on our honeymoon. I can't believe we can have sex. And we said that over and over and on our honeymoon. I can't believe we're married. I can't believe we're married. I can't believe I get to sleep. It's beautiful. And after the fact, we, we thought we had good reasons to wait, but it was after the fact that we said, wow, this is so precious. This is so amazing. This is so bonding. This is so, can't find words for it. I'm so, 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 so glad we waited. And so my challenge to you is don't give up the honeymoon. And I imagine somebody's here thinking, well, um, it's kind of too late, Pastor. I made some poor choices and, okay, I get that. I made plenty of poor choices too. But how much better to decide from here forward, I'm going to start doing things God's way. How much better when you have to have that talk about the baggage? And you say, Pastor, I already have the baggage. How do I get rid of the baggage? Well, I don't know. But how much better when you have to have that talk to be able to come forward and say, um, I'm so, so sorry. There was this and this and this. But I decided, I made a decision that I was going to be done with that. And so two months ago, two years ago, whatever amount of time ago, I'm different. I don't want to save myself for you. Is that going to be a better conversation? Maybe not the best, but it's certainly going to be better. Don't give up the honeymoon. When it's right in the eyes of God and right in the eyes of your parents and her parents, and there's no guilt, there's no tears, there's no remorse. Don't give it up. I like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Are there deceptions out there today? Full of them. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, idol worship, nor adulterers, again, sex outside of marriage, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But this is the best part of this verse. And such were some of you. 
such were some of you. That's your choice. That could be past tense. And the verse goes on, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Don't sit there and say, well, there's no hope for me. I've messed it up too much. There is hope for you. I like this verse too, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, anybody here a sinner? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. It doesn't say I'm faithful. It doesn't say that I'm just. It says he, Jesus is faithful. He is just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from how much unrighteousness? All. I don't know how many times I hear, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Folks, this says all. And you look at that list, that's a rough list. But my God is big enough. I wasn't sure we were going to have time for this, so I wasn't planning on doing it. But there's one more group I want to talk to in this area. The story is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's the story of King David and Bathsheba. It says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. David is a who? He's a king. Is he out to battle? Nope. Instead, he sent. That word sent appears 23 times in chapter 10, 11, and 12. David is sending, 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 sending. It's all about a power trip for David. And God is barely mentioned in chapter 10. May God do as he wishes. And so everybody's out to war. Everybody's fighting a battle. And the head of the Israelites is at home. At a time when kings go out to war, David's at home. He's not going anywhere. And it says, um, verse 2, Then it happened one evening, we're talking about twilight, that David arose from his bed. Talk about laziness. And he walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And you know the story. And my, people oftentimes tell me, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. No, if you understand how things were laid out there in Jerusalem, that is where they bathed. It was on the roof. That was the only private place, except King David had his palace up further on the hill. So if he wanted to, at that time of day, which was taboo for this reason, but he could go out and he could look over all the rooftops. So what's David doing? He's spiritually lazy. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing for God. And at the end of the day, he says, you know, I'm just going to peruse and I'm going to find some, some eye candy. And he goes out on the back of his porch, and sure enough, he finds some, and he asks, and the question comes back, don't you know? This is Bathsheba, wife of Uriah the Hittite. I mean, it's like, David, this is one of your friends, one of your mighty men. You know who this is. David doesn't care, and he sends for her. And we like to say, well, Bathsheba, she should have stood up and said, no, I'm not going to do this terrible thing. Friends, when the king sends for you, you come. And then he sends everybody else out of the room. And then he has his way with Bathsheba. If you study this verse, it's very clear. This is not equal guilt, but rather this is power rape. He does something to her that never should have been done to her. He puts her in a position and then he tries to lie and, and cheat and all kinds of things. Ironically, he brings Uriah back. And Uriah is more 
conscientious, drunk, then David is sober. And so finally he has him taken off and wiped off the map. And he thinks he's gotten away with it until Nathan comes. And Nathan says, you and she, you are the guilty ones. Is that what he says? He says, no, David, you're the man. This is on you. And why do I share that? Because I imagine in a group this size, perhaps, and I hope not, but I imagine somebody here has been tampered with. By an adult, heaven forbid, by a pastor, by a family member, maybe by a father, whoever it was. And you have suppressed that, and you feel guilty about that, and you think, why didn't I? I should have. No. I challenge you to find any place in this story where guilt is laid on Bathsheba. It's not there. She is the victim. And if you ever found yourself in that situation, you too are the victim. And so I don't bring this up to make you uncomfortable, but by, hopefully by God's grace, you can be released from the guilt that the devil is trying to press upon you. And to maybe take some steps to have some conversations with trusted individuals that can help bring you through what you've experienced so that this doesn't continue to the third and fourth generation of sexual dysfunction because somehow the beautiful model was tainted. But friends, you can get past that. God's grace is sufficient for that. For the individual that did that wrong to you, and maybe in, in how the ways you have acted out since then. And you can ignore it, and you can say, well, it's just what is, I can't change it now. And you can continue on in that dysfunction. Or you can say, you know what, I want to get back to God's original design. I don't want the devil to keep making me feel guilty for something I had no power to, to do anything about. And while I'm in this relationship and perhaps that we have done some things we shouldn't do, continuing on doesn't help things. If you've been speeding to class at 130 miles an hour every day and gotten away with it, good for you. But it's not in your best interest to keep doing that. And then perhaps in some way, by God's grace, he can help you to have a honeymoon to experience the joys of what he intended it to be. To bring you and your spouse together in this wonderful, intimate way that bonds you so close and so tight and glorifies your Heavenly Father. So I know I'm just like a middle-aged old guy who doesn't know much of anything. And some of you will just dismiss all this and say, whatever, I got my credit, where's lunch? And that's fine. I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> but I'm hoping that there is one or two or three or four that will hear this, that maybe we're on the fence and they said, you know what? That makes sense. And as challenging as it is, I'm going to wait. I have a lot of doctor's friends. I don't know one that has put on a death certificate, lack of sex, cause of death. 
Maybe you've met one. I haven't. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then the blessing of this beautiful thing that God created can be yours to enjoy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the wonderful gifts that you give us, for all the directives in your word that are truly for our good. Lord, this one about sex and sexuality is seriously under attack today in every way, shape, or form. And just because an individual like me that is married, we're not out of the woods either. There's so much garbage. Lord, help us to be the men and women that you have called us to be. Not because of some legalistic thing or a salvation thing, but because we want to honor you and because we truly believe that you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So Lord, may we trust you in your directives. And may we glorify you in how we live our lives. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.